You guys can go ahead and be seated. I wonder if you've ever come home and as you're finishing up a long day, Andrew, could I come have you just adjust the camera a little bit for me as I move over towards this table? If you're coming home from a long day and you walk by your dining room table and you are anticipating, just, yep, just come on right over this way. Should spin. <laughs> Matt to the rescue. I think it's the other one that's lower. Right out there. Hi, Facebook people and YouTube people. We value you. We will wait for you to get over here with us. So, all right. So you come home, long day. You're tired. You walk by your dining room table, and you're expecting your plate and your wife's plate to be sitting there, and there's a third plate. And you're like, what's going on? Why are there three plates when there should be two? Who is about to invade my space? Who's about to show up at my house? What's going on? Because we understand very intuitively, no one has to explain it to us, that when we see the dining table, that if there's three plates set out, there's an expectation that the third person is going to show up. We, we can look at things and we can solve the riddles really easily when it comes to, clue, to these little clues. We can solve the riddles that if there's a soup spoon on the table, that means you're probably eating all right, that's great. Yeah, if you look and there's a steak knife on the table, then you're eating. That's right. You understand. Okay, we're preparing properly. The stuff is ready. We're Southwest Florida. You see some crab claw crackers on the table, then you know it's a good night to be eating dinner at home. All right? You understand that whatever is set on the table is set there for a purpose. That, that it dinner time, we get the table ready because we have an expectation. This is what we're going to need. This is who we're going to need it for. And so when we lay things out, we want things to be ready. Because once the food is hot on the table, there ain't no more waiting around. Right, people? That's right. Then it's time to eat. It's time to get things going. And, and this series that we're in right now, it's called Reclaiming the Table. Because there's a reality that important conversations should be happening around family dinner, around breakfast, around our times together together. Throughout generations, that has been a time where parents have interacted with their kids and grandparents have interacted with their grandkids and meaningful conversations have occurred and busyness has really kind of pulled that away from us. And through this series, we're looking at some principles and the very specific place that I want to encourage you to try to live these principles out is around the dining table, around with your family. And today's passage that we're going to get into is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can open up with me. We'll project the words up on the screen and online as well as I read it. And it very simply says, starting at verse 16, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. <coughs> now, you might hear that passage that starts off with a very simple and very impossible instruction, always be joyful. Paul, are you aware of what is happening in 2020? If you're going to bring us a passage that says always, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in, in all circumstances, do you not understand what's going on in the world around you today? Do you not understand how many people are sick, how many people are out of jobs, how many people are experiencing difficulty, and you're going to bring us a passage that says always be joyful, be thankful in all circumstances? Yes, I am going to bring you that passage because this passage is not just about being reactionary. It's actually about preparation. 
And so often we are in a circumstance and we say, well, I can't be joyful because of my circumstances. I don't have anything to be thankful about right now because of my circumstances. And I hear that own voice in my head at times that says, my my circumstances dictate that I get to have a pity party right now. And I'll hear that voice. But then a better part of me speaks up and says, you know what, Christ in you is more powerful than the circumstances around you. And he's written to you about how your attitude and how your worldview should be. And the only way that you're going to have joy in the midst of difficulties is if you have already decided to have joy before the difficulties. And I want to tell you, as the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, that is why he's writing this. He's writing this to correct some attitudes, correct some perspectives, because what was happening there, he knows the difficulty. He's actually the one who brought the gospel into Thessalonica, and he went into the synagogues there, and he preached, and the report is actually given in Acts about how this went down. And it says in chapter 17 of Acts that there were some Jews that came to know Christ, But this church in Thessalonica was mostly Greeks and Gentiles. It actually identifies in there as well. It says that the leading women in the synagogues believed. And that's what the early church was made up of. And as it was getting started, and as the Apostle Paul and his group of people were there preaching, things got so tense in the city. Other people got so upset about this upstart church that was happening that the Apostle Paul had to escape the city because of the violence and the persecution that was getting started. He then went to Athens. He then went to Corinth, where he penned this letter to the Thessalonians, um, and he had Timothy deliver it to them. So I just want to wrap that context around what you're hearing. He's writing to a church where the things in the city got so bad, he had to sneak out of the city. We we see a description about how the people of the city came, and they dragged a man named Jason out of the house, house church. I mean, things were difficult. He understands the difficulty to them that they're experiencing. And he says, in the midst of that difficulty, always be joyful. Pray without ceasing. Be thankful. And it's not that he's missing this. He understands that some attitudes, they they need to adjust. They need to fall in line. Because when we look at the ultimate reality, we understand that we do have a reason to have joy no matter what our circumstances are. We do have this ability, despite how bad it is, God hasn't gotten far away from us. We have the ability to stay in this conversation with him. And we have so many blessings that surround us today that we often will be blinded to because all we can see is the difficulty and the challenge. And so the Apostle Paul's writing to them and, he, and he's wanting to fix some of their attitudes, and it just reminded me, you know, these things are written down because we want to correct something, just like warning labels. Warning labels get written down because we need to correct someone's behavior. Every warning label has a story attached to it. A couple of them that caught my attention, um, and this, a couple of these I'm pretty sure happened in Florida. I'm just saying, as you read them, like, Florida man was at work. One of them on a jet ski was, do not check fuel level with open flame or match. So apparently somebody opened up the fuel tank. Oh, I can't see it. Let me put my lighter down in there. <laughs> see how much gas I have left. Um, someone had to write a warning label about this. Ladies, this is squarely on you. Um, do, hair dryer, do not use while sleeping. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you take a shower. You want to lay back down for a couple minutes, but you want your hair to be dry too, so you just lay it on the bed next to you and go back to sleep. Maybe that's what happened. I'm not sure. Um, 
this is definitely a Florida one. Reflective sunshield for the dashboard of your car. Do not drive with sunshield in place. <laughs> Seems pretty common sense, but someone had to write it down. Um, Dremel tools for drilling, not for dentistry use. <laughs> I could fix that for you right there. Just give me, let me get my Dremel. Um, <laughs> and the, the last one of a behavior that had to be corrected. Um, on something that is used for keeping animals out of your yard, fox urine, on, the, on it, they had to write the label, not for human consumption. I, <laughs> it, it seems strange. Like, those seem, like, that's common sense. Um, in, in Scripture, I, I want you to know, the vast majority of Scripture is written to instruct and correct behavior. And when you hear it, if you hear it and, and you say, always be joyful, that seems so far away from how my life is. I want you to understand the problem is not with what is written in Scripture. The problem is with what we have adopted as our worldview and how we perceive our situation. That is something that needs to be adjusted. And if it feels like that's just such a huge step for me, I want you to understand how far God can take your life. How far God can take your attitude and your emotions and your feelings if you will follow what he has written to you and taught you. Because this always be joyful thing, it is not out of reach for you. This concept of going through the day with this conversation that just never ceases with my Heavenly Father, where I know I am heard in the throne room of God, and that He is a good and faithful Father who answers prayers, that I can walk through my day continually talking to Him, that is not out of reach for you. The concept of continuing to see the blessings and the things that I can be thankful for, despite the challenges that are real, because once again, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church knowing their struggles, knowing their sufferings, knowing their difficulties, having felt them himself. And his instructions to them are clear. You've got to, you've got to choose, you've got to decide on joy. Because that's what it is. It really becomes a decision. Um, but, and so I see this passage not just about the truth that we, should be, not that we should just be always joyful, but we have to look and we have to make this decision. There's some preparation that needs to occur to get us to the point where we can feel like we always have joy. And so in this message, we're going to look a lot about preparation of how we can get to that point because that's just very obviously the finish line. The finish line is always being joyful, praying without ceasing, always being thankful. How do we get there? There's preparation that has to occur so that we can get to that point. And the first thing is just deciding to have joy. And that might sound really weird to you. It might sound strange, but it's a declaration and a decision that I think you have to pick up and make every day. That at the beginning of my day, I'm going to decide to have joy. In the book of James, which is written by the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus, not see him as the son of God during his early ministry is what the gospels show us, but later in life, through the resurrection and through the power that came through Christ, he believed and became a pillar and a leader in the church. In the book of James, he writes and he says, Dear brothers, consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why would we respond to trials and challenges with joy? Well, he says because it creates perseverance, because it does a work in you, because we understand the end result is something to have joy about. That even in the midst of a difficult setting, that I have the faith to see that God is going to bring us all the way through it in a way that I know I will celebrate, and so I can go ahead and start celebrating right now. Choosing joy before any of the issues come up for the day is going to empower you to walk through them differently. 
Starting our day off, deciding, I'm going to engage in my heavenly father. I'm going to engage with him through prayer. It's a decision that has to happen early. And in fact, Jesus modeled this throughout the gospels. And if anyone could have looked at a day and said, I can make it through this day without prayer, it could have been Jesus. But the example that we see is that he would often wake up early before the sun rose and go away by himself for prayer and begin. But I know, at least in my own experience, that the times that I am committed to waking up early in prayer, are those are the times that I am convinced that unless God intervenes and does a miracle, everything's going to fall apart. Like, things have to be near tragic for me to really start my day out with prayer most times. Because in that situation, I think that the only way that I can prepare for this day is to engage in my Heavenly Father with prayer. But what I've learned is that when I prepare for all of the days that way, I experience the rest of the day in a much better way. I understand that when I start there, that when I look and say, I have to prepare for this day for the challenges that are ahead in a way that will honor God, I know that I'm ready for all of those challenges differently. I know that I can maintain that conversation. As challenges come up, my Heavenly Father won't feel distant from me because I've already spent time with Him that day. And so the calling to pray without ceasing, I want to say, it starts with a decision. It doesn't just start with responding to a need. Our conversation, our prayer life with God, it should be based out of a relationship that we have with Him and not just in response to the latest crisis. And, the, the, and, and listen, it's not just about the answered prayer, but it's about the experience that's felt. But if I start my day with him when the crisis hits, it, if, it, it takes away fear's power. It takes away anxiety's grip if I've already been with him. And so when we say pray without ceasing, I'm going to tell you, it, it's a beautiful thing because you get to see God answer prayers throughout your day because you've been asking him and he's good and he's faithful and he answers prayers, but it also changes your mindset. It gives you that peace that is found only in walking with Christ. And then decided thankfulness. You know, I, I expect to not always feel thankful, but I, I expect of myself to always be thankful. And sometimes my emotions that are felt have to catch up to my mind and what is known. Because there's times where our heart gets out of check. And we have to bring back in the truth of Scripture and say, no, I understand that's how you feel, but this is how it is. I understand I didn't get that thing that I wanted, but I understand that I have more than I could ever need in my relationship with Christ. I know that God is going to provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I understand that he sees what's coming before I've experienced it. And if we choose to start our day with him, with joy, with prayer, with thankfulness, it's going to change the way that that we see these. Um, Preparation, it, it reveals our expectation for the day. It reveals what our expectation is. If I expect I can make it through the day without prayer, I'm going to live that way. If I expect that I can make it through the day without joy, I'm going to live that way. But if, but if I expect I need to spend time with my Heavenly Father and it's going to change the course of my day, it's going to change my mornings, it's going to change my afternoons, it's going to change my nights, it's going to change my emotions, it's going to change my anxiety, it's going to change my fear. And I think that, when, and when I say preparation it reveals your expectation, this shines a light on have we been living our life in a way that we feel like we don't need God? I know you'd never say that, but I'm afraid that our schedule has said that. 
Because just in the way that we would set the table and we say, okay, we're going to have three people. We need three plates here. We've got to get all the things that we need. If we're, you know, if we're having steak, we've got to have the steak nice. We've got to put the right things on the table. We prepare for dinner. Are we preparing for our day? Are we, are we preparing for our day in a way that says, you know what, I, I need to start my day off with my Heavenly Father. I, I'd have to carve that time out. Because I know our head thinks something, but our schedule might be saying something completely different. And I want to encourage you to begin to, to reset the table on your life, not just at your family dinners. There's priorities that have probably gotten shifted away. And I'm going to tell you, what we prepare for, it reveals what our expectations are. And so I need to, at the beginning of my day, it's a choice. And if I don't make it consciously, I know that it won't happen. I need to set joy before me at the beginning of the day. And I need to say it out loud. I need to say, God, I know that you have joy for me. I know that you have something more than anxiety and worry for me. And so I am claiming that and I am thinking on that at the beginning of the day. God, I know that you love me and I know that you want to speak to me and I know that you're faithful to answer prayers and so I'm gonna ask them of you at the beginning of my day because I expect that I need your hand in my day. And God, I have so many things to be thankful for. Don't let me get blinded to them in the busyness and the craziness of this day. And if I set those things out before me at the beginning, it changes what I experience through the rest of the day. When we prepare in that way, that's the other thing that preparation does is preparation creates anticipation. You know this. It's also known as confirmation bias, that, that you, know, you begin to see what you've been thinking about in all these different places. And so when a challenge or a trial pops up, if we are expecting the goodness of God to be on display through any difficulty, when it comes up, we don't just see the challenge. We say, here's an opportunity for the goodness of God. Like, God is going to work this out. Like, as the problem gets started, if our mind has already been there today, then it's like we're just expecting God's going to answer this. And, and, and ex- lots of preparation, it creates awesome expectation. Um, I, I saw this, this principle at work of, you know, preparation creating expectation on my daughter. I, I will brag about my kids all the time. Um, and I, I, I think I've even shared part of this story before. My oldest daughter, Ella, she has this spiritual gift of hospitality that God has been growing in her for years now. Like she loves to help people. She loves to serve people. She's not hearing this right now because she's over there serving the kids right now. And she did it first service as well. Like that's just part of her heart. Um, but one of the things that she loves to do is she, she will spend hours thinking about a recipe, researching it. She'll spend hours making it, getting everything ready. And, and it creates this amazing anticipation where like when you go to eat the food that she made you, she is like piercing into your soul with her gaze. Because she has this, like, she wants to show you kindness and love and affection. And so she does that through food and through service. And so when you eat it, like, she is just waiting to see what you think. And I remember this very distinctly the first time that she made a meal that her sisters did not like. And as a parent, like, you feel kind of bad for her, but you're also like, now you know how it feels. <laughs> like, you spend a bunch of time, and the people don't even want to eat it. They're eating peanut butter and jellies now, and you spent hours making this meal. But, but there's this anticipation that she had of, like, do you love it? Like, do you like it? Did, was it everything that you wanted it to be? Like, did, does it make you feel happy? Like, there's that anticipation that builds up when you've been preparing and preparing and preparing for something. And it creates an excitement. It creates an anticipation of something that's about to happen. And I believe that we see that principle at play in our spiritual life as well. That, that when we have spent time praying, we expect that he's going to show up. When we've spent time reminding ourselves about the joy that is found in the Lord, then we expect to find things to be joyful about. 
when we have spent time thinking about and investing and being thankful for the things that he's given us, we will find even more things to be thankful for. It, 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 just, it builds up, and then we see it wherever we go. I, I, I really, like, I want to try to engage in just this picture because I want it, I want, I want to scar your minds. Like, is that okay? Like, I'm just going to try to leave a mark. That I, I want those of you guys who are listening today, that when you try to set the table later today and through this week, that it's like Paul's talking about setting joy before us. Like he's talking about setting prayer before us. He's talking about thankfulness. And whenever I set the table and I'm preparing for my family for them to eat, and I'm making those preparations, I want to just kind of scar that like you're thinking about principles that scripture has taught you, that we have to set them before us as well. And the reason we do that is because we have an anticipation that doing this matters. That doing this is going to help us to live it out. That if we set it before our minds and before our families, it's going to change the direction that our life goes. Because that's the other obvious thing that preparation does. We have to prepare to be joyful. We have to prepare for prayer. We have to prepare for thankfulness. Because what it does is it begins to change our direction. In fact, I want to say it this way. Preparation initiates direction. That when you prepare for something, it will actually set your course. And there's a reality that, that if you don't care where you're going, any road will get you there. But when you get there, you might find out you don't like where you've arrived. And if I were to ask you questions about what are, what are the dreams for your life? What are the dreams for your career in your workplace that you want to see come true in the next year, the next five years? The dreams about your family. Like, what are the things that you really want out of life? you could probably begin to describe to me some of those things. You may not have it completely nailed down, but you'll have some ideas. But then if I ask you, what are you doing to make those dreams happen? Like, what is it that's in the course of what you're doing now to move towards those? I'm afraid that too many of us wouldn't even know what to say. And for me right now, I, I, it's becoming ever more clear that my time with my kids in my household is limited. They are growing up faster and faster. And if I do not prepare and initiate times and important conversations with them now, I won't get this opportunity back. If I don't do the important things that I need to be doing at work now, I know that this opportunity doesn't come back. And so the direction that things are going of not doing the things that really matter, I'm going to miss more and more chances until all of them are gone. But if I choose in this day, in this week, to prepare to have those conversations that I should have with my kids, to prepare to remind the people that are important to me that they are important to me, if I, if I now prepare to do what I need to do at my job so that I can move towards my goals, I understand that that's going to move the direction of all of those trajectories. But it's a decision that I have to, I have to get started on now. You know, comparing it to, to a meal, if you want to eat something, like, you better start cooking. If there needs to be something on the table, like, you, you've got to do some preparation. In the same way in our life, when we talk about joy, what are you doing to stir up joy in your life? And that might sound selfish, that might sound foolish to be, like, should I be thinking about joy in my life? Should I be thinking about joy in other people's lives? Well, here's the truth. When you set joy on your own table, there's leftovers. Like, you know that it's contagious, that, that when you show up at work with that strange amount of happiness and like fulfillment, people are like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you, but like I want some of it. Like, where did you find it? 
When you have that joy that you first had when you found Christ, just that excitement that is found in him, it, it changes things. It makes the most difficult of times better. And so our preparation, like we have to make these choices before we get to the situations so that we can have what we need in those situations. And my concern is that we haven't been making those preparations and so we're moving further and further away from the goals that that God has for us. Um, Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. When when you think of having joy, when you think of having dreams, when you think of having good things in your life, I want to remind you of a couple of scriptural truths. God's dreams for your life, for your future, they're even bigger than your dreams for yours. Your dreams for your family God has bigger dreams. I mean, in the description of heaven and the description of life on earth, in, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I hope you have huge dreams, but I want you to know that God's dreams for you, they're even bigger. But there's this, There's this reality that God calls us, but we have to react to that calling. And if your preparation for obeying God, if your preparation for changing directions is non-existent, you're going to miss opportunities. So what, what, what is God speaking to you about? What is he telling you that you need to prepare for? And I, I believe it would be powerful if you, you had that conversation with your family about what's ahead of you. Um, because I don't think our preparation is matching up with how big our dreams should be. It's like putting out the fine china to smack down a McDonald's cheeseburger on it. Like it just doesn't make sense when you set it on the table. Um, we don't put gourmet food on paper plates. Like it doesn't, it doesn't match up. Some of you guys, you probably like heard the jokey pickup line. You've seen it go around where a guy goes to a girl and says, hey, you should feel this material. And she's like, why? He's like, because it's boyfriend material. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of you guys have dreams for good marriages, and you need to be like, well, that might be boyfriend material, but I'm shopping for a husband. I'm not in the dollar section right now. Like, I have bigger dreams than that. Some of you guys have, have put up with things in relationships that are not healthy, and they're not what you want for your future, and you need to look for something that is more honoring to God and more honoring to the dreams that he set in your heart in the way that you date, in the way that you're pursuing a career, in the way that you're leading your family, I want your preparation to match the expectation. I believe God has great things in store for you. I believe God wants to remove anxiety. I think he wants to remove fear. I think he wants to use you to change this city and change this world. I think there's neighbors down the street from you who desperately need your encouragement. But I think that we have to take some steps of preparation to get healthy within ourselves, to hold on to that joy. And I, I want to put the challenge just very, very specific. Very, very specific. When you eat a meal with someone else this week, whether it be your family, a friend at work, I hope when you put your food down on the table, you start to think yourself, freaking Paul making me think about joy and making me think about prayer and making me think about being thankful when I'm just trying to eat this meal 
Um, and now God's reminding me of it, and so I feel like I'm stuck in it, and I want you to have the conversation. I want you to breach the conversation. I don't want you to wait on anyone else and tell them, man, this week I'm just really thankful for this. Even though things are difficult, I have a reason to be joyful because of this. And I want you to start it. Because when you initiate that new direction, we have a Heavenly Father who looks down and says, no matter how lost you've been, no matter how bad things have been, when you begin to move homeward, I run out of the house to meet you there. God finds you with grace, and so don't bring any excuses of what has been because God is just consumed with what is ahead of you. He can heal everything that is behind, and he can bring you to more than you could ask or imagine for the future. And I believe he calls you to that moment, but you have to respond to it. Let's pray. Father, would you give us courage to take the steps that we need to take? so that we can see you move, so that we can feel your joy, so that we can hear your voice within our conversations, and so that we will never again be blinded to all the things that we can be thankful for, to the many blessings that you give us. Help us to take that step as you speak. Help us to reset the table, put the things back in our life that really matter. In Jesus' name.